This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. When my family and I started taking our stand for the Bible, we noticed a very strange question coming forth in the discussion groups. Do you still believe in serpent seed? My wife and I made a conscious decision that we would serve God in spirit and in truth, not just in spirit. When we found that we were standing for a message proven to be filled with fictional stories, we gradually came to the understanding that we were standing on unstable ground. Our choice ultimately came down to which God will we serve, not which man's doctrine will we be under. But there were many that somehow believed that faith in this doctrine was a choice between life and death. Our faith in Jesus Christ was not relevant in our conversation, and these people truly believed that if we'd lost faith in man's doctrine based on man's understanding of Scripture, we had lost our place in the body of Christ. But the work that Christ did on the cross was once for all. The Scriptures do not tell us I will never leave you nor forsake you until you no longer believe that Eve had mad, passionate sex with a snake. Paul did not say, It is by grace you're saved through faith in serpent seed. The gospel of Jesus Christ only gives one requirement for our salvation. Faith in Jesus Christ. We must have faith and understanding that there was nothing that we can do to save ourselves. We're born into a dying world of sin and needed a Savior. He chose us. We did not choose Him for our salvation. God loved us so much that He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. One of my associates in the, in the Branham apologetic movement made a statement yesterday that took me by shock. I don't want to be part of a little bride that is proud to leave everyone else behind. This idea was foreign to me. 
There are few themes in the ministry of William Branham that remain the same from start to finish. While condemning the Trinitarians for believing in the triune God in the latter part of his ministry, Branham prayed that the third person in the Trinity would bless the meeting. He preached that Christ was the eternal God in the beginning and later chose the Jehovah's Witness different Jesus, one that born and died just as a man. But the one theme that we find present from start to finish is pride. We were trained to be proud that we were part of a small little group. We were proud to be identified with a little body of people. And we were proud not to be identified with the entire body of Christians. None stepped up to the altar with prayers of intercession for other Christians. None entered church crying for the people in the church down the street that they felt were condemned to hell. None fell to their knees to pray for God's forgiveness and mercy for other Christians in the world. Instead, we sat there while ministers calling themselves ministers of the gospel preached harsh judgment against all other Christians. The very gospel that they proclaimed was abandoned by their little bride theology. We served a God of wrath and hatred, not the God of the Bible. We uplifted a different God that was limited in power. He could not save the Christians in other churches. The cross was not powerful enough to save the poor soul rejected by those people because he rejected this little man from Jeffersonville, Indiana, who promoted himself through fictional stories. There was an underlying reason why it was this way. There was a reason why this little body of people would rejoice at the deaths of millions should California suddenly fall into the ocean. We were more loving towards this man that we believe to be a prophet than towards the little children playing in the streets of Los Angeles. I am abhorred by our selfishness. I watch small children behind our house, many of them in loving Christian homes, who never knew that William Branham even existed. Sometime long before they were born, family may have came in contact with Branham or his following, and they may have searched his teachings to see if they lined up with the Word of God. They may have come across this different Jesus or examined some failed prophecy or some fictional story. Yet we were willing to watch these small children suffer and die just because of our pride in this small little body of people that called ourselves Christian. It's a, it is a disgrace. My associate said that their life had been changed after learning the real gospel of Jesus Christ. They said that they'd give up their place in God's bride and offer it to another person for their salvation 
and it would be done without hesitation. That one sentence halted me in conversation. To give up our place and our prideful position while in the message would have been considered blasphemy. We don't want somebody else coming in with us. They might not believe in our prophet. But I had to ask myself, was this scriptural? And my program started kicking in. I'd been programmed since birth. And I felt like this was an awful thing to say. It sounded as if this person did not value their place in the body. How can somebody give up their seat? But sometimes when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, you don't fully understand what He is saying until you read His Word. It wasn't until this morning, when I was reading my daily scripture, that God started speaking to my heart. This is the love that I showed you. Are you unwilling to show it to others? Romans chapter 9 was the first scripture that I opened today. These are the very first words that I read when I started my day today. Paul writes in Romans 9, 1-3, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. That's Paul. How different was this from the pride that I once had in my life? Paul was willing to cut himself off for Christ for the sake of his brothers. Paul was not preaching little bride pride. He was writing of inward pain for others who did not know the love of Christ. Not even other Christians. This was written towards Jews that had denied the work that Christ did on the cross for them. Paul writes, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, of the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is Christ, who is God over all. Blessed forever. Amen. Listen to that. That denies many of the message teachings. Christ, who is God over all. Blessed forever. Amen. Paul was speaking about the prideful, not the humble. The Jews had a long history of prophets. Of the Levitical priesthood. And they were descendants from Abraham. Their seed was the royal seed, and they had earthly glory in knowing that they were the children of the promise. But Paul did not preach serpent seed. What Paul said next struck me this morning. It exposed just how prideful this doctrine teaches us to be. Romans 9, 6-8 says, But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. 
And not are all the children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Romans 9, 6-8 The royal seed of Abraham are not numbered by the blood of a man, as we were taught. It is not the children of the flesh that inherit the promise. Our Father is in heaven. William Branham was the assistant pastor to Roy E. Davis in the Pentecostal Tabernacle until 1931. Davis was the Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan and is recorded giving testimony describing his establishment of the White Knights to the United States government. The Klan teaches that there is an earthly bloodline and that all part of the tainted bloodline are lesser human beings. They're taught pride for their race and believe that other races of people who do not share their same history are not worthy. This doctrine led to race riots and lynching, a blemish in the history of America. Men filled with pride stood and watched as angry mobs took the lives of innocent victims. Men were beaten, hung, shot, and even burned on fiery crosses, signifying the pure evil that were in the hearts of this movement. Through the teaching of serpent seed, mothers were taken from their children, fathers were slaughtered, and families were destroyed. But the Apostle Paul said that it was not human blood that made us chosen. God chooses whom he pleases. Paul reminds us of Jacob and Esau, both born of the same blood. One was chosen, the other one was not. Next in Romans 9, he says, For this is the promise, this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return, and Sarah will have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told that the other will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Romans 9, 9-13. But notice Paul's words. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. I look back at the false religion that I left. If I only knew these words of Scripture, think of the hundreds of people daily condemned in the workplace because they wear makeup for confidence or to present themselves a little better looking. Even if words of condemnation are not spoken, think of the thousands of people around this world that condemn others within their hearts. All for the teaching of a man. All for a teaching that is not even found in Scripture. 
Yet Paul said it was not because of works. God chose us. We did not choose him. Paul said that both children were not even born when God chose them. And they had neither done good nor bad. So you're reading this and you're thinking, that's not fair. I thought it. This was my programming kicking in. Selfishness. We were taught to be selfish for the kingdom of God. Not to be thankful. We were taught to get in there kicking and screaming. What if a king from a foreign nation came to America, choosing to marry the beautiful bride of his choice, and he decided to throw the biggest party for this celebration, one like the nation has never seen before? And what if he sent out invitations to people that did not yet know him, just like the unborn Esau and Jacob? And you received an invitation in the mail to go to the celebration simply because this king from a foreign land chose you. Would you laugh and mock your neighbor because they did not receive an invitation? Would you point fingers of scorn or accusation against other Christians for not being chosen? Would you stand on the inside of the party, throwing insults to those that are on the outside? Or would you realize that this king might kick you out of the ceremony for being a fool? There is no injustice in God when he chooses one and denies another. God is a sovereign God. He chooses whom he pleases. And we are to be in full support of his choice. If he chooses the lowest sinner in the city, the man that the entire city frowns upon, then we should lift up the sinner and help clean him up. Paul answers this question if we continue reading. What shall we say then, he says? Is there injustice in God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Romans 9, 14-18 if you've been set free from this cult and you're still struggling with that little bride programming, don't give it a second thought. Read the New Testament. Read the words of Paul and Peter. You'll find a direct conflict between your program's teaching and this serpent seed. You'll find that it is so weak, the serpent seed doctrine, it's so weak that it can only produce a little bride. The power of God is far greater than this. The Bible does not teach this little bride theology. The Bible does teach that the seed of Abraham will be as the sands of the seas, and that not all of them will be saved. 
Abraham's bloodline was not just from Isaac, remember? Hagar bore Ishmael, and the children of Abraham are literally without number. The number of Christians worldwide is dwindling. Many are changing to foreign religion, or have been driven into atheism through deceptive teaching. There is only around 30% of the population worldwide that even claim to be Christian. And that number includes several born into religion, move, religious movements that proclaim a different Jesus. But remember, God chooses whom He will. God can reach His hand down into the life of a Muslim, or a Buddhist, or even an atheist. God can take the broken vessel that man has cast aside, fix the pieces, and use that vessel to mend others. And believe it or not, the true gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive. It makes you humble your pride. It makes you realize that you too are a broken vessel. It is a stumbling block before men, exposing their shame. But faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone has the power to save. Paul ends the chapter with these words. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame.